Hi, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. While rogue individuals with an agenda and advanced cybersecurity skills are still prevalent, most headline-grabbing hacks are now originating from well-organized, highly talented groups or organizations. Not only does this dynamic provide access to a greater pool of talent, but it makes stopping a multifaceted attack much more difficult. One of the most notorious of these cyber terrorist groups is BlackBite. The ransomware as a service group recently made headlines by hacking the National Football League San Francisco 49ers right before the league's biggest weekend, the most recent Super Bowl. The group was able to exploit a vulnerability in the team's Microsoft Exchange server and implement a tool called Cobalt Strike. Users were then sent hourly ransom notes via a print bomb to all printers connected to the infected machines. While the 49ers have downplayed the impact of the hack, it did result in the release of financial documents that BlackBite posted to a site on the dark web. No ransom demands were made public, but the amount of data actually stolen remains unknown. The growing reach, ability, and boldness of these groups should give everyone in the industrial sector pause, regardless of your role or job title. If they can access data from a billion dollar franchise, your IP and financial data is, at least, just as vulnerable. The good news is that we have people like Lauren Podbear, Principal Intelligence Analyst at Red Canary, to help guide us in getting ahead of groups like BlackBite. Lauren and her cohorts at Red Canary specialize in managing cybersecurity, endpoint detection, planning, and response. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we dive into their tactics, what can you tell us about groups like BlackBite in terms of how they're comprised and how they operate? Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. So BlackBite is a human-operated ransomware group that operates as a service. So what happens in this type of model is these ransomware developers will sell or lease their tooling to affiliate operators who then use these tools to carry out an attack. So it often manifests in multiple groups being involved in one intrusion chain where we might see one group gain access, they might sell that access to another group who might steal credentials, steal data, and then they might ultimately encrypt the network and attempt to extort the victim. Uh, so this type of model, this ransomware as a service ecosystem, lowers the barrier to entry for actors. So someone who once needed the technical acumen to create a sophisticated cool tool, excuse me, can purchase this capability. Uh, this expands the broader sort of ransomware ecosystem, allowing more operators to use more sophisticated tooling more frequently. So I would assume that also makes it really tough to figure out who exactly is at the root of these attacks. Absolutely. So the affiliate model is a challenge for defenders to track. You see groups like Black Matter and DarkSide where they might rebrand or retool or the same types of operators might be a part of different operations. So it's, it's absolutely challenging to track those affiliates and understand who is actually behind them. Incredible. As these, it's incredible how these groups are getting more and more organized and more sophisticated. But what do we know a little bit about these guys in terms of their tactics and their targets? What are they usually going for? Sure. So um, these attacks are often high volume. So we'll see the initial piece. There are a lot of organizations they could target. There is 
sort of some indication that they'll look for organizations with either an ability or a willingness to pay. So in the past, we've seen attacks on hospitals or critical infrastructure providers where there is an incentive to restore access to encrypted files or stolen data right away. Um, you might also see operators, they've compromised a bunch of systems or they could purchase access to different systems, look at their accounting documents or see if there's a time-sensitive financial reason that they might want to pay to restore access really quickly. Um, we've seen victims across different sectors. So over the summer, we saw uh, the Colonial Pipeline attack, we saw meat processing plant, we see the 49ers. So it's something that affects, I think, victims across industries and geographies. So, you know, you mentioned the hack on the 49ers. Was that because they really didn't disclose anything that they were looking for? They didn't disclose a ransom amount that they were seeking. Granted, that could be behind closed doors a little bit. But was that attack more to get their name out there and for the notoriety because it occurred right around the Super Bowl? Or was there more, I guess, more bad actions involved in that than we were aware of? That's a great question. So it's almost impossible to know what an operator's motive is. So in threat intel, we think a lot about capabilities and intentions. And the things that we can observe are the capabilities and what they actually took. So I think you bring up a really good point. There's the, the public nature of saying, hey, we've compromised these high profile victims. We're going to threaten to leak their data. That's certainly effective in terms of wanting to apply additional leverage or compel the victim to pay the ransom. Uh, but we don't know what else they did in the network. So in a lot of these cases, they're really multi-pronged operations. Just because someone encrypts the network, they might also install a coin miner or steal data or credentials. They might want to come back. So we can opine on the objectives where we've seen the encryption, we've seen the extortion, um, but it's, I would say it's prudent to assume that other things may have been going on as well. We just might not have that visibility. And that, I mean, in a very general sense, I should clarify, not the 49ers is just one example of these types of attacks where we don't know what else might have happened. Absolutely. In any case, they got a lot of notoriety for it, and you would think it would almost assist them if they do these similar attack down the road. People are going to be familiar with them and maybe a little bit more intimidated as well. Absolutely. So, so, Lauren, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Red Canary and some of the work you guys do and the people that you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. So Red Canary is an organization that helps organizations uh, identify and respond to threats. So we provide managed detection and response services to organizations from small and medium businesses to large enterprise customers across various geographies and attack surfaces. So my the Intel team where I work in particular is focused on tracking behaviors related to threats so that we can build the right detection coverage and the right visibility and help give customers context on how to respond quickly, how to tailor their decisions in a way that incorporates information on activity they've actually seen in their environment. You mentioned being ready to respond to these types of attacks. That's a, a message that we hear discussed a lot. What do you see as some of maybe the shortcomings, particular potentially in the industrial sector, that is preventing people from either assembling these response plans or really putting them in action as swiftly as they should? I think some of the challenges are things that are straightforward, but they're not necessarily easy. So thinking about understanding what your attack surface really is, what hardware, what software, what sort of legacy devices or things you might have acquired during a merger and acquisitions. So I think that can be really challenging um, for any organization. And um, I think that is really the biggest 
the biggest thing is knowing what you have and then knowing who, who to talk to and what those channels look like. So um, there are a lot of really good public resources on incident response and exercising those plans. Um, I think to basically oversimplify, it's making sure you know what you're running and what could be at risk and who to talk to to make sure that you can take the actions that you need in a time-sensitive way when this happens. Makes sense. You know, one of the tools that BlackBite used specific to the 49ers attack was something called Cobalt Strike. Can you explain a little bit what that is, how maybe it can be identified, or, or what it does once it's planted? Absolutely. So Cobalt Strike is something we see across intrusions, and that's it's a great question. It is a set of tools that are used both by red teams and by adversaries. And it's generally something we refer to as post-exploitation. So an adversary will have access to a network and then they'll start using Cobalt Strike or one of its models. Sort of at a very high level, it helps operators move throughout a compromised network. They might have access to one machine. They might want to get access to more machines with more privileges. It's going to help them move laterally throughout that environment. And we might also see it being used to drop additional payloads. So in the instance, uh, we think about BlackBite, using Cobalt Strike allowed operators to deploy and execute the BlackBite ransomware, which was then later used to encrypt the system. So um, when we think about Cobalt Strike and those capabilities, it's, uh, I think, a, a force multiplier for adversaries and something that allows them to achieve a number of, obje of objectives quickly and reliably. Absolutely. You know, ransomware is one of the bigger trends that industrial sector and manufacturers are dealing with. As we look forward, say the next 12, 18 months, and we look at cybersecurity specifically, what do you see as some of the bigger challenges, trends, obstacles that are out there and that we need to be prepared for? One thing we've been seeing a lot at Red Canary is uh, refer to it as user-initiated access. So someone will Google something looking for um, a document or looking for a, a software, they'll go to a site that's been compromised. So you might download something like, hey, I'm looking for a PDF converter or I'm looking for a template for a, an agreement or a contract or something very general. Um, and you might pull down that malicious file by accident. Um, we see a lot of operators kind of seeding compromised websites. So sites that are legitimate but have been compromised by an adversary. They're going to seed them with keywords, and that's going to help those malicious sites, or excuse me, compromised but legitimate sites, show up at the top of a victim's search result when they query something in Google. So that can be really tough to combat as the person has gone out and looked for it. I might not have my guard up when, like, oh, I searched for this, I went to this site, Google presented it. Um, I think that's going to be a really big challenge. We've done, I think there's a lot of user training around uh, things that are externally initiated. So there's been like great progress, I think, in helping folks understand how to identify phishing emails or things like that, like getting a communication from someone you didn't expect. Um, it kind of flips the narrative when you're the person looking for that thing. So there are fewer tip offs. So that I think is one. And the other, I think this is sort of a very high level, but attack surfaces beyond what we're used to seeing. So as more organizations migrate to cloud structure, um, as we see different like permissions and identity data, so like how operators adjust to kind of contend with an expanding security stack requires us on the blue team side to really build up an understanding of 
what threats might look like as that attack surface perimeter um, widens and gets broader. So that's something we're looking at a lot as well, like developing a better understanding of threats and Linux or Mac or in these cloud environments. Absolutely. So there's plenty to stay vigilant of and aware of as we uh, we look forward. Looking more immediately, you know, one of the things that's definitely in the headlines right now is obviously the situation with Russia and the Ukraine. Part of the initial surge of offensive maneuvers by Russia was some denial of service attacks targeted at Ukrainian financial institutions and businesses. Do you have any insight there in terms of what you guys have seen going on there and potential impacts? Sure. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, this is, uh, I think, not a strategic surprise, but somewhat of a tactical surprise as we see kind of different activity occurring at different times. Um, You mentioned is absolutely true. So far, most of what we've seen has been local to organizations in Ukraine, maybe a little bit in surrounding countries. Um, Something we're watching for really closely at Canary, and I think the whole security community is understanding whether this type of activity is likely to extend beyond just targets in the immediate region. There have been a few reports of some wiper malware that came out yesterday from ESET research um, that appears again to be very local uh, to Ukraine, and there's not a lot of public reporting. So um, I think what we're mostly focused on is making sure that any reporting we put out is credible and corroborated. And the biggest thing we're looking for is just any indication that it's likely to spread beyond uh, the immediate region, which, knock on wood, I don't (laughs) believe we've seen as of this interview. Thanks, Lauren. For more information on the work Red Canary does, you can go to www.redcanary.com. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, ien.com, or mbtmag.com. For Lone Podber, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.